You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. See you guys. You guys can have a seat. Yeah, this is, uh, this is awesome to be with y'all. Uh, Jake and I were doing uh, some ministry in Chattanooga, Tennessee on Friday. And so I was like, well, I'll just come hang out with you guys because I love this church and what you guys are doing. And uh, Pastor Chris caught wind I was going to be in town. He was like, hey, man, you want to speak? And I am always down to run my mouth. So I was like, <laughs> let's do it. So, man, let's, t- let's talk this morning about um, transitioning, uh, making a hashtag holy shift, if you will, from, uh, you guys all right? It's fine. You'll catch it later. From navigation to transformation, from navigation to transformation. How many of you would like to stop navigating things and begin to transform things? All right. Well, I'm going to give you some keys for that this morning uh, because the Lord is interested in that happening. It's kind of on his heart. (laughs) How many of you know he wants to see the world transformed? Yeah. Yeah. Come on. He uh, He wants the world to get to experience the goodness of who he is. I was... uh, I was thinking the other day about that verse that says, uh, he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And, you know, usually that verse is preached with kind of a weird spin of like, hey, even when people are really screwing you over, like the Lord will prepare some good things for you. And then you can kind of rub it in their face like, no, no, no. How many of you know the Lord prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies so you can invite your enemies to the table so that they can have a taste of the goodness that you have, right? And when your enemy gets a taste of the goodness that you get to participate in with the Lord, they become transformed, and they go from your enemy to your friend. (laughs) Man, he's preparing a table of his goodness for you in the presence of your enemies, not so that you can gloat, so that you can invite them to the table so they can experience the goodness of God. Man, how many of you know God doesn't have any enemies? We, in our fallen state, we, in our minds, were enemies with the Lord, but we were always his friends in his heart. Even when Judas came to betray him, in that moment, Jesus calls him what? Friend. He says, friend, do what you have come to do. What? Judas comes, and at the moment that Judas is going to betray Jesus, how many of you know if Jesus was ever going to have an enemy, that would be the right time and the right person? But Jesus says, friend, do what you have come to do. Come on. He has given us the the administration of reconciliation. If you look up the word reconcile uh, in the Webster's, one of the definitions is to restore an old friendship. How cool is that? Man, Jesus came to restore an old friendship, not on God's behalf, (laughs) on our behalf. Because we had become enemies towards God in our fallen state. But he was never an enemy towards us. He always saw us as friends. And he came, Jesus went to the cross not to change God's mind about you, but to change your mind about God. Come on. He's all about transformation. He wants to see the world transformed. Let's go to that next slide. I always hit this just so everybody can loosen up a little bit. These are my two core values. Number one, if I can't laugh, I'm not going. So everybody can relax a little bit. We'll have some fun and, uh, and laugh some this morning. Number two, if we're not changing the world, I'm not playing. And so I'm here to play because I know I'm in a room full of world changers. Let's go. Everybody say, that's me. And some of y'all said, oh, he's one of those guys. He's going to be telling me to turn to my neighbor and say stuff. You'll be all right. Uh, 
this next slide I almost took out because I know I had mentioned this last time I was here, but the Lord was like, no, keep it in. And then uh, Pastor Lacey starts talking about what? Hope, right? And uh, Cody and Julie, they were singing the song about hope, right? Man, there's such a thing for hope this morning here. And uh, as the song said, that all of our hope is in him, but the hope of the world is in you. <laughs> it's still the same hope. It's still Jesus. But the world's hope is Jesus packaged in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. And when God defines his own glory for himself, when Moses says, show me your glory, and God says, yes, and then he causes his goodness to pass before Moses. God defines his glory as his goodness. So the world's hope of experiencing the goodness of God is Christ in you. When you show up, God shows up. Let's go. And when God shows up, things change. Transformation occurs. Come on. Transformation occurs when God shows up. Colossians 1.27, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory or the goodness of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. And so when we begin to think about this, how do we show up as the hope of the world? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with understanding that evangelism is not just about people hearing that they can be born again and come into the family. Uh, that's actually very small. Evangelism is that there's a solution to every problem. Evangelism, is, evangelism in the kingdom is for every problem, God has provided a solution. And it's here right now. And we have the ability to apprehend it. And so when Jesus says, I have come to preach what good news to the poor. What's good news to the poor? You don't have to be poor anymore. <laughs> good news to the sick. What's good news to the sick? You don't have to be sick anymore. <laughs> right? Jesus came to fix all the problems. Not just your sin problem, all the problems. Come on. And did you know that the primary definition of sin, you can look this up. The primary definition for the word sin, which is hamartia in the Greek, is not doing the wrong thing. That's actually the fifth definition. <laughs> but most of us have been taught that when we hear sin, we think doing the wrong thing. But if you have that mindset, you're still eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. Am I doing the right thing or the wrong thing? The primary definition of hamartia is this, to be without a share in. In reference to an inheritance. The primary definition of sin is you don't have an inheritance. What does that mean? You don't have a father. It means you're an orphan. The primary definition of sin is orphanhood. And from an orphan mindset and an orphan heart flows orphan actions. But Jesus came not to handle the actions. Jesus came to handle the hearts and the minds. That's what he came to restore, right? So, so when you get born again, ah, now you have the opportunity to know your father. You have the opportunity to have the son, uh, the heart of a son, right? The mind of a daughter, all of those things. And as you shift out of not having a share into, oh, this is the inheritance that I have because I have a good father. Now, all of a sudden, the actions begin to take care of themselves because you realize, oh, this thing is not what I do because I am not that. This is not what a son does. This is not what a daughter does. This is not what a king does. This is not what a queen does, right? And so why am I doing that? It begins to lose its attraction because you know who you are. It's all about identity. Oh, man. <clears throat> and so as we go through the process from orphans to sons, right? 
and then from daughters to queens, and then from kings to fathers, right? Orphan son, king, father. As we go through this progression, uh, there are people that God has given as gifts to the church, that Jesus has given as gifts to the church, uh, that we would refer to as the fivefold. And so, uh, Scripture says that he gave some, Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. He gave some. That means that there are some people that are those things as Jesus' gift to the body. And so, as everyone, every son and daughter, every saint is supposed to move from sonship into kingship, right? And then from kingship into fatherhood in our progression, um, those who are called to hold offices, and we would get that from uh, Acts where it's quoted in Isaiah about Judas that uh, there would be another one who would take his office, right, as an apostle. We have to understand that for some people, their progression is to move from son to office, all right, rather than to king, right? Kings sit in thrones, offices sit in office chairs. I don't know. I just made that up. But, uh, <laughs> but what you need to understand is that if you're called to an office, then you are called to serve the kings of the kingdom who are called to serve humanity. So if you're called to an office as a prophet, an apostle, a pastor, a teacher, an evangelist, uh, you should recognize, oh, I'm actually called to serve more than anybody else. Because <laughs> I'm to serve the sons and daughters of God so that they can serve the world. All right? And so um, <clears throat> in that, there's two purposes for the fivefold. And it's, for, one, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, and two, for the building up of the body of the Christ. Okay, so there is, a, there is a portion of the fivefold that is called to operate within the church for the building of the body. Okay, so all of us need pastors in our lives. All of us need apostles in our lives, prophets in our lives, teachers in our lives, right? So that we can be built up, so that we can experience the benefit of that. But then also, all of us need to understand that those people who hold those offices are imparting, and in the kingdom, that's unlocking, right? Unlocking those graces in you so for the advancement of the kingdom in the world. Okay? So um, it's not a hierarchy, okay? First apostles, then prophets, then pastors, and, and, and then here are the people. Oh my goodness, the hierarchy thing wears me out, man. How many of you know Ephesians 2.20 says, built, everyone say built, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, built upon, not get under. I'm just saying, if you're under a foundation, the mob got you in New Jersey, right? Like... <laughs> You don't get under a foundation, you build upon a foundation. Does that make sense? So sometimes, you know, people will, will ask, hey, who's your covering, brother? I'm like, the Holy Spirit? <laughs> but I think what you're asking is, who have you been wise enough to build upon? And that would be Daniel McCollum. <laughs> He's a spiritual father in my life, right? He's a prophet, and he has been kind enough to say, hey, Dub, build upon what I have built upon. Right? So it's not about getting under a covering, it's about building upon, being wise enough to understand who do I need to see and recognize and respect and develop a relationship with to be able to build upon what they have built. So it's not about getting under a covering, we just made that up, honestly. <laughs> Isn't it funny how we just make stuff up? 
<laughs> oh my goodness. I better calm down, Dub. All right, listen. <laughs> so, you know, when you, have, when you have this flipped upside down, then you have the man of God thing going on in the church, right? Here comes the man of God. Remember when the man of God would come to town to prophesy? <laughs> oh man, finally someone who knows how to hear God is going to prophesy. And then you're like, do I dress in bright colors because I want a word? Or do I dress in neutral colors because he's going to call out my sin? Right? <laughs> do, do I sit in the front or do I sit in the back? Right? Listen, uh, an actual prophet in the kingdom and the better covenant understands that when they walk in the room, they don't hear God better than everybody else. They understand, oh, when I'm in the room, everybody hears God for themselves better. Because that's the purpose of being a prophet. The purpose of being a prophet is not that you hear God the best. It's that you have been God's gift to the body to unlock within them their ability to hear the Father for themselves. Man. So... We've got to get out of the, the man of God complex and understand that the apostolic and the prophetic, all of these things, they, the purpose is for the building up of the individual, right? You know, I need pastoring. I need, I need you know, uh, the teaching, right? I need all of these graces for myself because it benefits my life, which benefits my family, right? Which benefits my household, all of those things. Uh, but I also need to be carrying all of those graces with me into the world everywhere that I go. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that practicality here. Um, but uh, I, I just wanted to start with that. It's not a hierarchy, and it's not something you get under. It's the gift of the support system of Jesus to his bride. And the end result is that we have fivefold kings walking the earth. That we have saints that are prophetic, that are apostolic, that are evangelistic, that are pastoral, that have the ability to communicate on a high enough level that they're able to replicate and communicate culture, come on, to the world so the world can access it. The end goal is that all of the saints are walking in kingship equipped with the graces of the fivefold in order to transform the world everywhere that they go. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. In our American mindset, we hear ministry and we immediately think working in the church. Minister is not, is not a church word, it's a governmental word. As I travel doing my stuff at the UN, I sit with the Minister of Finance, Minister of Tourism, Minister of Agriculture. It's, it's one who carries governmental authority to administrate the will of, of the head of state of the country that they have been sent from. So the fivefold is for the equipping of you guys for the administration of the kingdom in the world. You are all citizens of heaven and ambassadors of the king. <laughs> Woo, man. Yes, come on. I look, man, all right, focus, Deb. Stay on the slides. <laughs> so many bunny trails everywhere. All right, so when we begin to talk about transitioning from navigation to transformation, for a long time with the prophetic, it was, and, and I was the same way. I would wait, you know, okay, the, the beginning of the year is coming up. And so I'm waiting for my favorite prophet to drop the word for the year so that I can know how to navigate the upcoming year, right? How am I going to navigate the dark times that are ahead? <laughs> but how many of you know that it's not about navigating the dark times that are ahead? It's about transforming the darkness into the light. We don't need to be looking for navigational words. We need to be looking for transformational words. 
We need to be listening for the sound that tells us not how to get around things and make it through. We need to be listening for the words that tell us how to get into things and make a change. From navigation to transformation. And I believe, let's go to this next slide. This is just me. Uh, I'm just, I just made this up, but uh, <laughs> I believe it to be true. Uh, this is just my opinion. I believe that like from the 1980 to 2020, we were really in an, a time and a season of the reestablishment of the office prophet to the bride, the prophetic grace upon or on the ecclesia, and the prophetic gift within the saint. And then in 2020, I believe that we were, man, we, had, we, we were seeing you know, more people being activated in the prophetic on the earth than ever before in history. That's amazing. Come on. And I believe that in 2020, we were supposed to shift into the reestablishment of the office apostle to the bride, the apostolic grace on the ecclesia and the apostolic gift within the saint. Now, a working definition for apostle that I operate from is the building of a structure and the stewarding of a culture within it. Because... Here in America, we just made up that, oh, if you pastor more than one church, you're an apostle. <laughs> we just made that up. There's, there's nothing about that that makes any sense. But Jesus came at the fullness of time. When did Jesus come? Jesus came during the Greco-Roman Empire period. And so there was the Babylonian Empire. There was the Medo-Persian Empire. And those two empires, they would go into a territory. They would conquer it. They would destroy the culture and the buildings, burn it to the ground. They would kill all the men, and they would take the women and children back as slaves. In the Greek empire, now Alexander, no relation, comes in. <laughs> Alexander the Great comes in, and he begins this idea of apostles. And apostles had governmental authority, but not military authority. They were generals, but they didn't carry, they, they were the second wave. So Alexander the Great would go in with the military generals, they would conquer a territory, and then he would return home and he would send in the apostles who had governmental authority, but they would leave the building standing, and they would leave the people there, and they would send in a royal governor who would oversee apostles, who would transform the culture of the newly conquered territory to match the culture of Greece. And then Rome came along, and Rome loved that idea, and the Caesars perfected it. So the Caesars would go in, conquer a new territory, return home, send in a royal governor with apostles, and they would make the new territory look like Rome. And when it looked like home, the Caesar would come to visit. And so Jesus came at the fullness of time. Jesus came when we had a model to see, oh, this is what the kingdom is like. Jesus comes and conquers everything. King Jesus won the battle. He returned home sends the royal governor, Holy Spirit, to oversee an apostolic people to create the culture of the homeland on earth as it is in heaven. And when we do that, by discipling nations, the king is going to come visit. Come on, yeah. Listen, Jesus isn't coming back on a rescue mission. He did that 2,000 years ago. He's coming back for a wedding. If we will simply do what he asked us to do, which is disciple nations, teaching and training people to do things God's way, then we will produce the culture of heaven here on earth. And when earth looks like home, the king is going to come visit. Man, I've got, man, hope. I love hope. Hope, man. You can't, you were talking about tapping into that unlimited supply. I've done that. Like, you can't get me down. <laughs> if you need some hope, you can have some of mine. I ain't worried about it. 
if, if we will just begin to do what Jesus asked us to do, everything is going to transform. Man. And so I believe that the reason things got a little wonky in 2020 with the prophetic, you know, we had the healthiest, most powerful, active, impactful prophetic culture of all time that I'm aware of. And then things started getting kind of weird and getting confusing. And I believe it's because we missed that it was time for the prophetic to tie into the apostolic because it was time to build some things and to steward some culture. And because we didn't have the apostolic matured and recognized and clarified for the prophetic to flow into, things just started getting weird. You see, the prophetic and the apostolic incorrect alignment will produce forward progress. All right, so if you think of the prophetic and, and the apostolic, when you go in and get your car aligned, right, it's about bringing those two wheels in together so that they work properly together so that your car moves forward smoothly, and so I believe that, that because we've missed the language, right, to understand the apostolic, right? I, I remember a meme the other day. It said, um, today may the prophet prophesy, may the teacher teach, may the evangelist evangelize, may the pastor pastor, and may the apostle do whatever it is apostles do. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny, but if you, most people that you talk to, they don't really know what an apostle is. But Jesus chose that word specifically how many of you know it would have made more sense to his followers to turn to the 12 and say, and you will be my rabbis. You will be my prophets. You will be my priests. But he says, you will be my apostles, which would have been offensive to them. Because the apostles were the people that came in and dominated their culture. They were the ones they were subject to. So Jesus did that intentionally because he's trying to help us catch. Hey, this thing that the orphan kings developed, that idea actually came from heaven. And I need you to honor that. And so he was helping them shift in their culture. Let's go to that next slide. You see, the prophetic absence of the apostolic will result in navigation without any transformation. Because navigation is reacting to the external, whereas transformation is responding from the internal. And so if you have the prophetic, okay, so that's like the tire and the axle, just in case. Is that Thor's hammer? What's happening? Okay, that's... <laughs> That's one tire. <laughs> one tire on an axle. Now, what happens if it's not tied into the other tire? It's going to go in circles, which is navigation, kind of, I guess, right? I'm navigating around this table right now. But no, thank you, bro. I've been practicing. But <laughs> no transformation is taking place. This is called wandering, actually. Oh, children of Israel, absolutely. Lame. Listen, we got to change. Our, I mean, my bad, guys. <laughs> I felt their disapproval in the cloud of witnesses. They were like, really, bro? Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, 40 years, seriously? Anyway, okay. We, so we've got to change our mindset to stop navigating a fallen world and start transforming a redeemed world. And when we do that, we will see a kingdom world emerge. You know, it's funny because, um, let's go to this next slide, that prophetic plus the apostolic, that's a Hebraic plus a Greco-Roman mindset. Galatians 4.4, 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. And Jesus' message was repent, metanaeo, meta change, naio, thinking, change the way you think. And, and, and the funny thing about that is that sometimes in our streams, we can get super fascinated 
with the Hebraic mindset. Well, you know, brother, the Hebraic mindset is circular. It's not linear like the Greek mindset. And I'm like, yeah, and if all you have is the circular mindset, you never accomplish anything. (laughs) I mean, you know, the Hebraic mindset is the mindset that Jesus came and said, repent to. (laughs) He told the Hebraic mindset, you got to change the way you think. So we can't put the Hebraic mindset on an unhealthy pedestal and think that that's the ultimate because that's the mindset Jesus told need to change. Does that make sense? You got to have honor for both. There's some good things about it. Listen, you need to have an understanding of the Hebraic mindset so that you can understand the scriptures the way that they would have understood it. So there's value for that, but you shouldn't have a Hebraic mindset. You should have a kingdom mindset. Jesus says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're to have a new mind. Does that make sense? The invitation on the table is for you to have a new mind. That's crazy. There's only been three people that ever had a new mind. The man and the woman prior to the fall and Jesus. So what is a new mind like? Did Jesus ever fall? Ah, so a new mind is a mindset that is absent of the recollection of the fall. That's the invitation that's on the table. Jesus says, why don't you renew your mind to the place that it's as if you had never fallen? As if you had never had a moment in your life that you didn't know what it was like to know me. As if you had never had a moment in your life when you felt what it felt like to be an orphan. Jesus is crazy. Because religion says you can have a redeemed mind. You've been redeemed, but don't ever forget that you're a dirty, rotten sinner. Brother, I'm just a dirty sinner saved by grace. No, sir. I was a dirty sinner. I was saved by grace, and now I'm a saint. Now I'm a kinoskatesis, a new creation, a never-seen-before, brand-new creation walking the earth. I'm not an old dirty sinner saved by grace. I'm a son of God. I'm a king on the earth. I'm a new creation. Man, religion will allow you to hold hands with God but not be intimate with God. My, my, my. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to have value. And and this is a word for us in the church right now because there are still orphan kings that are unlocking kingdom strategies that we've missed and we need to be able to see, oh, man, that person, they don't know God yet. They're a pre-kingdom believer, (laughs) right? They're pre-kingdom, but they've unlocked a kingdom key that we haven't. So how can we learn from them? What can we pull on from that individual, Because we're missing out on a lot of amazing things that the orphan kings, because God is no respecter of persons. So when he drops a new revelation into the atmosphere, it's available for anybody to grab. And so the people that have been designed, how many of you know the gifts and callings of God are without repentance? Meaning that they're available for use even before the mindset has been changed. So when God drops a kingdom principle on the earth, even an unbeliever, if they're listening, can catch it. Man, so we've got to have honor for them. Yeah, guys like Joe Rogan, guys like Elon Musk, Dr. Dre. Yeah, yeah. That's Ice Cube, but uh, <laughs> listen, when I watched the Super Bowl halftime show, I was blown away that at the honor that Eminem and Mary J. Blythe and, and Snoop and everybody showed to Dr. Dre. Right? 
So Dr. Dre came in and he reformed the record industry and he did it as a father. Yes, all of those people came in through his record label, but guess who owns their own record label now? Every single one of them. He didn't keep them down. He promoted them. He became a foundation. He innovated something new. He reformed an industry. And then as those artists came in, he promoted them above himself. So he doesn't own them. But they all showed up 20 years later to perform with him. And each one of them went out of their way to honor him publicly in front of the biggest audience in the world. So how did Dr. Dre unlock honor on a higher level than the majority of the church? What can we learn from the orphan king? Man, Joe Rogan, believe some crazy stuff. <laughs> I love that guy. I'm like, Lord, I want to talk to him. I do, because I think he would love the kingdom. He hates religion, and I do too. But I think he would love the kingdom. And how many of you know that he reformed the media industry? Have you ever seen the stats on that? Like how many people listen to Joe Rogan versus every single network news out there on both sides of the aisle? It's embarrassing. <laughs> so how did that guy, who is pre-kingdom, how, how did he unlock the ability to reform an entire industry? Well, it's because he's an apostle. He just doesn't know it. Because apostles do what? They build a structure and they steward a culture. So what did he do? He built a podcast that became the number one influence in media in the world. And then he steward a, stewarded a culture within it using kingdom principles, even though he's unaware of it because he operates with honor, because he's kind, because he's looking for the truth, because he can sit and have a civil conversation with somebody that he violently disagrees with. Man, what can we learn from him? Come on. We've got to begin to have value for, for all of the goodness of God and recognize that the church doesn't have the monopoly on all of God's ideas. And so if we can begin to recognize that and then honor them for that, man, then we'll have the opportunity to reach them. And we'll see the orphan kings. Man, I love Joseph, right? Man, Joseph, he's often thought of as a prophet, but I'd say he's even more so an apostle because he built a, a financial ecosystem structure. He reformed th that structure within Egypt. But the most amazing thing about Joseph is at the end, he says, and I have become a father to Pharaoh. That's the win. Being an apostle prophet, you know, all those things is not the win. Even being a king on the earth is not the win. The win is to be a father and a mother in the kingdom. And so as we show up in the lives of the orphan kings, and as we learn from them, and they have the opportunity to learn from us, listen, we will also have the opportunity to introduce them to our father and to become fathers and mothers to them. <laughs> Man, we're going to change the world, guys. This is so exciting to me. Like, Everything is about to change. Everything is changing. Things are getting better. Don't allow yourself to buy into the lie that things are getting worse. Because scripture says in Isaiah, of the increase of his government, which is the kingdom, and peace, there will be no end. So I believe that's what's happening even when it's hard to see. I'm just going to choose to agree with what God said. That the kingdom is advancing even when I can't see it. And that there's more peace available today than there was yesterday. It is good news. Let's go. All right. So let's talk about uh, shifting from navigation to transformation, making that holy shift. All right. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, I cracked myself up. It's fine. All right. So when you are stuck in a state of navigation, things cause you to change how you move. But when you are moving in a mode of transformation, you cause things to change the very state of their existence. When you are stuck in a state of navigation, you have to submit your future to current circumstances. That makes me want to puke on my shoes, just saying that out loud. I refuse to submit my future to current circumstances. I'm going to move in a mode of transformation, and I am going to cause the future to submit to my current kingdom reality. Guys, when you show up, God shows up, because Holy Spirit is joyfully taking up residency within you. When you show up, the atmosphere of heaven shows up. When you show up, the strategies and solutions of the kingdom show up. Come on, you are an ambassador of the king of kings. (laughs) You outrank every authority on earth when you show up. But you just have to understand that that authority is for you. It's just not about you. You are to take that authority and not dominate, but rather bring things into dominion, which makes things better for everybody. Domination is not kingdom, but dominion is kingdom. Dominion is about bringing chaos into order, into God's way of doing things, so that righteousness, peace, and joy emerge. That benefits everybody, even your enemies. Come on. So when I show up, I am, I am not, I'm not, I'm not deciding what my future is going to be like based upon current circumstances. I am realizing that I am part of God's plan to design the future. You are transformational in the kingdom. When you are stuck in navigation, you move, but nothing changes. But when you are in the mode of transformation, everything changes as you move. Everything changes as you move. Jesus walked on water. That's crazy. So when Jesus steps onto the water, the molecular structure of H2O changes, and it responded to the identity of the king of kings, and it changed its molecular structure and its physics in order to do what the king needed. Talk about transformation. Hashtag toe prints. <laughs> Y'all remember that? No? Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'll fill you in. One time I was standing in service, and uh, I, th- I think I had a splinter earlier that day or whatever, and I was looking at my finger, and I was looking at my fingerprint, and it occurred to me, I was like, I think I have toe prints. <laughs> And then I remembered, you know, uh, when your kid is in the ho- uh, born in the hospital, right, and they take the ink and they, you know, put the, the baby's foot in the ink. And I was like, yeah, you do have toe prints. Because I wasn't, like, going to take my shoe off and check. That would be weird. <laughs> Front row in a big church, right? You don't want to, like, take your shoe off. and look. Anyway, so I, but I thought about that. I was like, we have toe prints. Why do we have toe prints? And then the, the Holy Spirit begins to speak to me about it. Did you know that, I mean, there's far more sophisticated forms of identification, but the primary form of identification around the world to this day is the fingerprint. Your fingerprint tells who you are. So identification is not only on your hand, it's on your foot. Why? Because everywhere that the sole of your foot shall tread is meant to respond to who you are. The earth is looking to serve the sons of the daughters of the king. That's why there's identification on your feet. The reason there's identification on your hands is that everything that you touch should bear the mark that you have been there when you leave. 
Every place that the sole of your foot treads should bear the mark that you have been there because you transform things. And things are willing to serve the king. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to King Jesus. Things are looking to serve the king of kings and to serve the sons and the daughters of God. But they will only, you will only be able to receive their response correctly when you know who you are. All right, when you are stuck in navigation, you are forced to deal with lower existing good and evil paradigms. What's the right decision here? Do I do this or do I do that? Do I go around this thing on the left side or go around it on the right side? Well, what if I just change this thing that's in front of me? What if instead of saying, how do I get around this? What if I say, Lord, what do you want to do with this thing? Is this thing in alignment with the kingdom? Is this doing what you want it to do? If not, let's transform it, Lord. <laughs> but listen, transformation, when you're in the mode of transformation, you will constantly demonstrate the establishment of a higher dominion prototype. You see, religion keeps you in a navigational state. Re religion focuses on destination. Where will you end up? The kingdom focuses on destiny. How will things end because of you? I'm going to say that again. Religious, religion focuses on destination. Where will you end up? The kingdom asks, how will things end because you are here? There's a difference between destination and destiny. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Religion keeps you in a navigational state, but the kingdom shifts you into a transformational state. Religion is a controlling system that dictates how individuals must navigate through life. These are the rules. This is what you have to do. The kingdom is a conquering strategy that demands that the individual transforms through their life. Those who are subject to religion are forced to navigate current realities making decisions that are governed by external circumstances, but the subjects of the kingdom are the force that transforms current realities, making decisions that are governed by internal design. You see, kingdom people don't react to external circumstances. They respond to and from original intent and design. So whenever I meet somebody, I'm asking the Lord, Lord, what do you say about this individual? Share with me the secrets of who you made them to be. What is their original intent, their original design, their original destiny? And then I'm going to choose to interact with that version of who they are, regardless of what actions they perform towards me, regardless of what words they speak to me. I'm going to look past that to their original design, and I'm going to respond from my original design to their original design, because that gives them the opportunity to become who God created them to be. So we have to stop reacting and start responding. <laughs> oh, man. So the kingdom brings transformation, but how? Upon the foundation of the prophetic and the apostolic. And so the body has become to depend upon the prophetic for navigation rather than transformational intel. Why? Because we've had a lack of understanding concerning the apostolic, and we've had an underdevelopment of the apostolic. And so in the time that we live in, there's many healthy, powerful kingdom prophets. And yet if I asked you for a list of kingdom apostles, it would be hard for you to come up with a list. And so it's like a, there's a M. Night Shyamalan movie, uh, Lady in the Water, and the one guy, he just works out one side of his body, so he's all jacked. 
and then he has like a little girl arm over here. No offense to little girls, your arm is perfect for you. But on this guy, it was weird, all right? (laughs) So we've got to begin to work out that apostolic side. Listen, because if we have a prophetic culture, but not an apostolic culture, we'll sit around and we will have the best conversations and nothing will ever happen. (laughs) Because the prophetic gives us the ability to see the blueprints that are in heaven, to see, to apprehend, to perceive, to receive the communication of the solutions and the strategies, but it's the apostolic grace that manifests it from the unseen realm into the seen realm. It's the apostolic grace that helps us build those things and steward the culture within them so that the world can have a taste because the world is tired of hearing us talk about stuff. They want to experience something. They want to taste it, feel it, walk into it, experience it. Come on, you guys are being intentional about building this church and stewarding the culture within it so that when people walk into the room, they experience something different. This feels like family. This feels like acceptance. This feels like love. This feels like championing, right? And so the apostolic grace is at work in this house because you're building something and you're being intentional to steward a culture and to take it out. When you come in here, you benefit from a kingdom culture. And when you go on the outreach, the world is getting to benefit from the kingdom culture. The fivefold is at work in the house building you up And the fivefold is at work out in the world as you administrate the government of the kingdom. It's powerful. And so we've got to begin to develop that apostolic piece because the purpose of the prophetic movement is tied to the performance of the apostolic movement. The prophetic will malfunction without the opportunity to merge with the apostolic. And so we've got to see those two things come together. And then there's a bunch of other alliterations up there just because I love alliteration. <laughs> I won't bore you with them. You can go back and see the slide, right? Now, this, the fivefold is based upon the ways of God. And so let's take a look at this slide. I love this. The prophetic is about conception. And this is actually the first way that we encounter God. We encounter God in Genesis 1.26, and we're eavesdropping on a conversation amongst the Trinity in which they are imagining you and I. Let us create man in our likeness and image. How cool is that? The prophetic is the ability to perceive and receive the blueprints of things that exist in the unseen, but that are meant to exist in the seen. And so God is operating prophetically within himself in the imagination of God. Ah, let us create mankind in our likeness and image. Let us create sons and daughters. He's operating prophetically, but then he has to begin to operate apostolically. He has to build a structure. So he goes to the dirt and he forms a body, which is a structure. And what does he do? He breathes the culture of himself into that structure. He built a structure and he stewarded a culture within it apostolically when he created you. He perceived you prophetically. He created you apostolically. And then we see the cultivation. Uh, The working definition for the pastoral, for me, is the kindness and patience to walk with people and things as they become the fullness of their potential. Man, that's so needed. How many of you know that I need pastors in my life to be kind and patient with me? (laughs) Dang, Jake. (laughs) Jake was like, yeah, this guy. Hey, can you pastor him, please? Let's get a pastoral session, side room. Uh, Listen, I need 
pastors in my life that are kind and patient with me, that have the ability to look at me and see everything that I am to become, and to walk with me, be willing to walk with me as I become that. I need people in my life that I choose to trust more than I trust myself, which isn't fun. How many of you know, how how counterintuitive is that? To trust someone more than you trust yourself. But listen, that's the only way to evade deception. Because when you're deceived, you don't know that you're deceived. That's the nature of deception. So if you don't have people in your life that you have made the decision, I'm going to choose to trust them more than I trust myself, you will be easily deceived. And that sucks. Man, there's been seasons in my life when I was deceived about something and everything goes wrong. But when I have the humility to choose to trust people in my life more than I trust myself, then I have the ability to be brought out of deception. Because sometimes I need a different viewpoint. I need a different perception, right? So that pastoral grace. And so we see God doing what? Walking with the son and the daughter in the garden as they are becoming. He's operating pastorally. He's being kind and patient with them. He, he brings the animals to Adam to see what they will call, what he will call them. I know I've taught this here before, but it bears repeating. This is the original intent of parenting. He brought the animals to Adam to see what Adam would call them. The Hebrew word for call is kara, which is to read, to call out, to recite, and to proclaim, which is the original intent of parenting. The number one thing you should do as a parent is read the identity, purpose, and destiny on your child's life. Call it out of them. Recite it back to them until they know it and proclaim it so the world knows how to receive your child correctly. He's walking with the son and the daughter in the garden kindly and patiently as they are becoming everything they are meant to be. So you have the prophetic, you have the apostolic, you have the pastoral, and then the fall occurs. (laughs) But so what does Jesus do? He comes as the greatest evangelist of all time which is about captivation. The evangelistic grace is the supernatural ability to attract the attention and the favor of outside things. And so Jesus comes and he is preaching the good news. I've come to preach the good news and 7,000, 5,000, 10,000 people come to hear this guy speak before social media. <laughs> like, I don't know if they were like, he was sending out <laughs> uh, like homing pigeons or... <laughs> I don't know. Is that the original Twitter? I don't know. Don't worry about it. No, it's too late. It's too late. All right. (laughs) But listen, thousands of people are coming to hear him speak. Why? Because he was operating in the evangelistic grace, the good news. He was sounding the good news, and that attracts favor, and it increases impact. Then post-resurrection, Scripture tells us that Jesus spent 40 days with them, teaching them, All the things pertaining to the kingdom, and nobody wrote it down. And I'm a little bitter. (laughs) Like, y'all wrote down numbers, and you didn't write down. (laughs) I mean, I know a lot of y'all have had deep encounters with the Lord reading numbers. (laughs) But Jesus taught on the kingdom after the resurrection for 40 days, and nobody wrote that stuff down? That kills me. (sighs) Ah. Got a bone to pick with some people when I get to heaven. Oh, my goodness. But the the teaching grace is about the ability to craft language, to communicate an idea to the point that it can be replicated. All right? So you have God, the ways of God, moving prophetically, conception, apostolically, the creation, 
pastorally, the cultivation, evangelistically, the captivation, and in the teaching grace with communication, and then he commissions you to go and do all of those things, to walk in the ways of God. And so he, he gives some of us as gifts to the body of Christ, and the purpose on those of us who are who hold office in the fivefold is to impart and impartation in the kingdom is not me taking something that is within me that is not within you and depositing it within you because all the things are in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is in you. It's me taking a key that I've learned, earned, or inherited and using it to unlock that which is already in you to a higher level. And so we come to unlock the fivefold graces in your life so that you can walk every day of your life with the ability to conceive things prophetically that have not been made manifest yet. And then to manifest them apostolically. Every one of you is called to build something. Yourself, your family, right? Your, your friend group, your job, your business, whatever it is. You are called to build something, either innovate and build something that has never been seen before or reform what is into something that has never been seen before. And then to steward the culture of heaven within it. You are an apostolic people. The world is waiting for us to show up and bring transformation to culture. So that the earth begins to look like heaven. All of you are called to to cultivate. To be patient and kind. To lead people into everything that they should become. And things into everything they should become. We're called to be an evangelistic people. Yes, to share the good news of salvation with people so that they can be born again, but also that there is a strategy and a solution for every issue on the planet. We just have to believe. Believe to receive. (laughs) And the communication grace needs to be unlocked within you so that when you communicate the truths of the kingdom, other people can receive it. And what you unlock on earth can be replicated by others. Here's the other reason that I called uh, Joe Rogan an apostle earlier even though he's unaware of it. In all seriousness, because he's actually not an apostle because he built something and stewarded a culture within it. That would just mean that he is apostolic. The reason that I know that he's an unredeemed apostle is because he has launched many other people's podcasts. And he has gone out of his way to help them build their structure and to decide what culture their structure shall hold. So you see, he's unlocking that gift that, is, that he has mastered in other people's lives. This makes sense? He's an orphan king who is apostling media right now. So what can we learn from him? Because we should be doing that. <laughs> because we are made in the image of the greatest communicator of truth of all time. The one who constantly broadcasts truth, which is the purpose of media. And we're made in the image of the truth speaker. But why is Joe Rogan having to do it? Because we didn't do it. But hey, somebody's doing it, so let's learn from him. Let's be humble enough to say, wow, this guy unlocked some principles of the kingdom that I missed. So how can I receive from him? Man, come on. So it's like, um, it's like with School of Kingdom... I've leveraged this process on my business. And so I'll break this down because it's always my goal for the kingdom to be practical. As my buddy Brian Orm says, we are the children of God, not the adults of God. So the kingdom should be simple. It should make sense. So 
School of Kingdom starts prophetically. Apparently, I'm not listening to the Lord, so God sends Dano. <laughs> and Dano's like, hey, man, you should start a school. I'm like, all right, because I trust him more than I trust myself. I'm, I'm kind of busy at this point. I got some things going on. <laughs> I'm working in the UN. I've already prophesied over a couple of presidents. I'm getting to speak into things that are shifting the trajectory of nations. And Dan was like, hey, man, you should start a school. And because I trust him more than I trust myself, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do it. Now, that conception has taken place, and now it's time for me to apprehend the apostolic grace because I must build it and steward the culture within it. And so the hilarious thing is that, for those of you who don't know, I'm, I grew up Amish-ish. <laughs> which is like kind of Amishy. You get it, all right? So Jesus got jokes. He's like, hey, Lord, uh, Lord, Father, that's probably better. Uh, <laughs> she's like, hey, Father, you remember that, that one we made that grew up Amishish? We should make his assignment be an online school. <laughs> that's hilarious. So I'm like technology challenged, and the Lord is like, your assignment, online school. Learn all the technology. And so I did, and it was stretching. I had to learn how all the different things work, Zoom and, and, and Facebook and, and Stripe and ClickFunnels and all the things. I had to learn all of these things, right, in order to produce the structure. And then I had to decide, what is the culture within School of Kingdom going to be? And I decided, well, honor and revelation of the kingdom and then the holy trinity of hilarity, which is memes, gifs, and hashtags. And so... <laughs> Those are the three things that occur in School of Kingdom all the time. And I have stewarded that culture. And so apostolically, I did that. Now, here's the deal. I'm, I'm getting to work in the UN covertly as a prophet. I'm getting to see nations transformed. And I launched my school, and I have 12 students because I'm very Jesus-like. And one betrayed me, but it's fine. I'm fine. Don't worry about it. And uh, now, do you think I'm satisfied with 12 people? Attending the thing that is stretching me so much to create. No, super not satisfied. So what must I do? I must apprehend the pastoral grace, and I have to be kind and patient with myself, and I have to be kind and patient with School of Kingdom, because it's becoming. It's making sense. The fivefold graces are practical. They should be at work in every area of your life, because they are the ways of God. And so I, I just pastor it. I'm kind and patient with myself. I'm kind and patient with the school, and I stay dedicated to it. And the first year I have 12, the next year I have 75. I'm like, oh, this is good. The next year I have 165, and maybe graduated 380-something. So it's like growing, but if I hadn't known to apprehend the pastoral grace and implement it for my own sake and on behalf of my business, if I hadn't pastored my business, I would have aborted the purpose on it. So then... In that growth process, I'm being kind and patient with myself, kind and patient with the school. It's growing. And I'm like, ah, I have to apprehend the evangelistic grace. Because the evangelistic grace is about attracting the attention of those who need the solution that you carry. What solution does your business provide? And are the people that are in need of that solution, are they aware of it? If not, you need to do two things. You need to be wise and study marketing and, and advertising and all of that. And then you need to do what you can in the natural and say, God, I need you to put the super on it. What's in your hand? Utilize that and ask the Lord to bless it. Ask him to partner with you, and he will. It's awesome. 
And now I'm realizing, okay, you know, we've, we had 380 this last year, and I'm believing for 1,000 this next year, and then more thousands because I've had credible prophets say that. And, and I'm like, we're going to change the world or bust, right? Like, this is the plan. And so I'm like, wow, I can't do everything. So I have to apprehend the teacher grace. How finally must I craft the language so that other people are able to replicate what I would have done in that situation within the school? Because I can't be to everybody who I was to the 12, right? So I've apprehended all of the five-fold graces because they are the ways of God, and I've leveraged them on behalf of my business, and it works, and it'll work for you. So how can those graces be apprehended and utilized for your own benefit in your life? First of all, you know, you need to have those, those graces that Uh, You need to have relationships with people that hold those offices so that you can receive the benefit of being pastored, of being apostle, of being prophesied over, right? Of being your prophetic gifting, being unlocked within you, all of those things. Then you need to to leverage what you've learned and what has been unlocked on, on behalf of yourself every day and on behalf of the thing that is in you to build. Whether it's yourself, your family, your social circle, your business, whatever sphere of influence you're called to. And so there's no way we're going to get through this. So uh, <laughs> I'll just run this first one. And then uh, so uh, you have a grace that has an operation. And when it is leveraged correctly, it will produce a specific result. And so the grace of the prophetic that the fivefold apostle will unlock in your life, its operation is the conception, the ability to perceive and receive things that are in the unseen realm that are on God's heart to be made manifest into the seen realm. And if you leverage the prophetic grace of conception intentionally, it's going to produce an encounter. How many of you know that above all else, your theology must be built upon God as a good father? Anytime my daughter wants to have an encounter with me, she gets it. Encounter, countenance, face to face. So the prophetic gift gives you the ability to turn to your father and to have an encounter. Whoa, I almost got a little drunk right there. I got to be careful. Whoa. Um, the prophetic grace gives you the ability to uh, have encounters with Jesus. All right? The result of that is revelation. Something will be revealed to you that you did not know before. Something that is existent in heaven that God wants released on the earth, you will now have the perception and the reception of. And the apostolic is the operation of the creation of that thing, which, when it is leveraged intelligently, produces evidence of a reality. The world is waiting to experience evidence of what we say is true. They want to experience the evidence that there's a good, kind, loving Heavenly Father that created them on purpose, for purpose, gave them a unique identity, purpose, and destiny, and wants to meet them. But they need an experience. They need to encounter evidence of that being true. Whew. All right, we're going to wrap it up. Um, I'll end with this, this last slide here. If this is something that you're enjoying and you're like, man, I would like to understand this on a higher level. I'm doing a free class uh, over the next uh, five Tuesday nights uh, or beginning June 14th, uh, which is this next Tuesday. It's all a blur. I don't know what's happening in my life right now. Apparently, this Tuesday, I'm teaching this class, and you should come. And uh, <laughs> replay is available if you have things going on on Tuesday nights. And uh, it's all about equipping the saints with the practicality of the fivefold grace. And so I'd love for you to come hang out with me. 
and uh, just get a taste of, of the equipping that School of Kingdom brings to you. And uh, I believe that the world will be better for it as you apprehend these fivefold graces and implement it into your life. And so uh, I'm going to have you stand, and, and we're just going to do a royal declaration. And I'm going to hand this over to uh, Pastor Chris. And uh, again, thanks for having me. Uh, I was just going to come and hang out, but it's always good to get to get to chat. I hope this was beneficial for you. The, n- the number one thing I want you to walk away with is understanding, listen, It's not about how will I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's about how am I going to camp out in the valley of the shadow of death and transform it into a city of light. I'm not listening for words about how to navigate the upcoming year. I'm listening for the sound of the strategies to transform everything I encounter in this upcoming year. You are a transformational people. You are an apostolic people. You are a prophetic people. You are a pastoral people. You are an evangelistic people. You are a teaching people. You operate in the ways of God. Your design, your design has been created intentionally to move in these five ways. You are the hope of the world getting to experience the goodness of God. Atlanta is going to be different because you are here. You are the ones who are going to transform the city of Atlanta. And Atlanta is going to become a kingdom city. I am sure of it. I am sure of it. Man, we are going to see cities with heavenly cultures here on the earth. Because we are remembering who we are and we're agreeing with it. So just, just, uh, just say this after me. I am a child of God. Royalty walking the earth. I am prophetic. I have the ability to perceive and receive the blueprints of heaven. I am apostolic. There are things for me to build and cultures for me to steward. I am pastoral, full of patience and kindness. To walk with people and things as they become the fullness of their potential. I am evangelistic. I am sounding the good news that there is a strategy and a solution for every issue on the the planet. (laughs) I am a great communicator. I have the ability to craft language. To teach others what I know so that they too can replicate the ways of God upon the earth. I am a fivefold king and I am on a transformational mission. <laughs> Let all this be so. Amen. Thank you guys.